We're preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. We're here in the Beatitudes. We've subtitled our series, The God Who Sees and Speaks and Saves. That The Lord came to this place on uh, this message to the Sermon on the Mount. He saw the crowd. And in the scene of the crowd, He perceived them and knew their needs. And so He speaks to them and speaks words of life. And through the speaking of the words of the Lord Jesus, of course, salvation comes from His blessing and from His tongue. And so He blesses this crowd and tells them that they are lucky and fortunate and are very blessed when they see these beatitudes that um, He has bestowed upon them. So let's begin to read those from 5, 1 through 12 in the Gospel of Matthew. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you are reviled and you are persecuted and all sorts of bad things are uttered and evil against you, and falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessings from our Lord Christ. Today we focus on the beatitude, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I know of a second grader sometime back in the 60s who had just moved to Gainesville, Florida. And through school orientation, he uh, was led by this very cute, probably fifth grader at the time. And um, he noticed that she had really pretty eyes. And as they walked through the hallways of this new school, she looked at that second grader and said, My, you have a a deep tan. Where are you from? And of course, as you know, no, it's me. I had moved from Jacksonville to Gainesville. But for some reason, when she asked me where I was from, the word Texas came out of my mouth. I'd always wanted to be a buckaroo, and I thought somehow she would be impressed if I was a dark, handsome cowboy from Texas. And she laughed, and I thought, well, that went well, until about three days later, I came home from school, and there was this same girl with pretty eyes. 
in my house who had become friends with my older sister who then the jig was up. She knew we were from Florida. And she asked me, why did you say you were from Texas? And as every second grade boy knows, the answer to any question like that is, I don't know. And then you bolt and leave the room. But the real reality is, is I do know why I answered that way. I wanted someone to think better of me than what I had thought of myself. There was somebody I wanted to impress. You know, in real estate, the same thing happens in most sales. And real estate is called puffing. Any of you have gone uh, through a house with a real estate agent, or if you are a real estate agent, you know, you know that word, or you at least know the concept. It's going through a house, and you hear words like, this is the most magnificent swimming pool that you'll ever see. It's just a pool. But you puff it up to the most magnificent swimming pool. Look at the sauna in this bathroom. All it is is a sun lamp. This is the largest lot in the neighborhood by an inch. Because we want to enhance something that we're afraid that people will notice the reality of it. And that really says something about our heart, does it not? And we all are guilty of it. Think of your resume. Think of how when you're talking with someone that you highly respect or you really need something from, how you might enhance a bit who you are or what you do or where you're from. Think about maybe even before the Lord how sometimes we begin to justify ourselves and our actions with excuses of why. Every human being has a heart issue. Jeremiah would put it this way, that all of us have a heart that is deceitful and wicked above measure. That we can't even understand sometimes the motivation of our own hearts and why we say and do certain things that we say and do. And we end up in this heart struggle of God, like the Apostle Paul, why do I do the things I know that I should not do and the things I know I should do I leave undone? Oh, wretched man that I am. And yet we see that in this heart issue, the root of it really is self-protection. The root of it really is I need to control what others see, even in the insanity of, I want to control what God sees about me. I don't want to be exposed. I know the truth about every one of us in here. Every single one of us has a secret or a skeleton in our closet that if the rest of us found out about, you would just want to die. All of us have something that we don't want everybody to know about. We don't want to be exposed. We, we have the fear that's been inherited from Adam and Eve that when God found them in the garden, the first thing they did was want to cover their shame with some type of fig leaf. Why? 
because they didn't want God to see them the way that they were. But Jesus says something here quite astonishing and quite challenging about our hearts. Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What could he mean by that? And does that apply to you and me? And in that beatitude, in that blessing, is there an answer to what I struggle with in my own heart? Well, the answer is a resounding yes. That Jesus blesses us with a purity that is His purity. If you would, if you can, keep your finger there and turn to Psalm 24. Obviously, many, many biblical scholars believe that Jesus is referring here to Psalm 24, especially this third and fourth verses. The psalmist David, we don't know the occasion why David wrote the 21st Psalm, but we, we think it was some type of antiphonal worship where there was a going back and forth in the, in the congregation of the Lord, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and another person would come back with the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas, and the other side would say he established it upon the rivers. But he comes to this third verse here where he says, Who shall ascend the Lord in the light of God owns everything, that God is over everything, that God, everything belongs to God? He asks this rhetorical question that is really two questions within one. He says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? It really is a question that is yet to be answered by the psalmist. But it's a great question for you and I, even this morning, to ask, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who is it that's worthy to go up into the presence of the Lord? And then the second part of that, and stand before Him. Dare to think that maybe if we were even to attempt to ascend the hill of the Lord, it might be a steep climb. And on the way up that hill to come into his presence, it might be a time of rehearsing my puffing so that I could think of how I might stand there. But the answer to the two rhetorical questions truly is, it leaves us in a place of, who? Because I know in my heart of hearts, I can't. Who is it that can come into God's presence Who is it that can be before the Holy, Holy, Holy One? Which of us in our own self, with our own hearts, could say, Lord, yes, I'm bold enough to say, I alone can stand before you. I alone can come into your presence. And I alone can withstand the glory that shines forth from you. You see, the psalmist brings us to a place, if we are truly honest, of empty-handedness. A place where our palms go up and we realize, I cannot climb that hill. I cannot stand before a thrice holy God in my own self alone. If you believe that you can, then I would propose to you 
your God is not holy enough. If you believe that there's some way in your own righteousness and in your own standing that you are able in yourself to stand before God, your God that you have in your image is not a holy enough God. And He is not the God of the Bible. The answer to the question, he says in verse 4, is this. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. It only takes one time of lifting one hand up to one idol. To ruin the equation. It only takes one deceitful motivation in the heart to make the heart impure. When it comes to the heart, there is no such thing as a little white lie before the Lord. It is a blemish that echoes loudly against the clarity and the purity of a holy, holy, holy God. And yet the psalmist inspired by the Word says this, or by the the Spirit says this, the only one that can ascend is the one who, who has clean hands, the one who hasn't done anything wrong. And what, that's what the psalmist means by clean hands. Someone who's never done anything wrong. Someone who's not touched the filth of the earth. Do you remember the story of Aaron's sons in the, in the Old Testament where the Ark of the Covenant was about to fall? And what did they do? They went to catch it, right? And when they touched it, God struck them dead. Do you know why? Because the earth was more clean than their hands. It would have been better for the covenant to fall on the dirt than it would be for the hands of a human being, a sinful human being, to touch the covenant ark of God. And so the psalmist comes and says, Who? Who can ascend? Whose hands are completely clean and pure? Who on this earth has never swore falsely in their heart about anything? And it does leave us in a place of How can I be blessed with a pure heart then? Because in verse 7, the psalmist says this, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. 
He is the King of glory. And it is this King who sees the plight of each one of us, who sees the impurity of our own fleshly hearts, who sees the dirt and the filth of our own hands that have manipulated and made weapons of war, not only literally to fight against other countries, but weapons of war with our tongue to fight with each other. And the King of Glory says this, I will ascend the hill. I, the one with pure, with pure hands, will let my hands be pierced for the transgression of the filthy hands. That my heart will be the heart that will break in two and burst forth with blood and water and brokenness for all of the hearts that have been broken through deceitfulness. And you see, it's by faith in that true king who ascended the hill with his clean hands, the one who ascended the hill with his pure heart and promised us that by faith that his heart becomes our heart. That his purity becomes our purity. It's a theological term that we use, imputation. That everything that was wrong and wicked about myself, everything that's in my heart that makes me proclaim, I'm from Texas. And all the things that are worse than that, and even that skeleton that's in my closet, that if anybody knew about it, I would just want to die. That has been imputed to Christ by faith. And by Christ, and by faith, Jesus took that upon Himself and walked up the hill of God and allowed His hands to be pierced on my behalf that His righteousness, His purity, might therefore be imputed to me. So blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. How is it that I can ascend to God? How is it that I can stand before God? Because I ascend to God in Christ Jesus. And I lift up my hands and my heart to Him and stand in Christ Jesus. I would dare not stand on my own before the Lord. I would dare not say, God, look at my righteousness. I would dare not say, God, look at my works. I would dare not say, God, look at anything about me other than Jesus. Lord, I would dare not lift up my hands to you except that my hands be covered in the hands that are scarred by Christ. You see, it really is a hard issue. Everything about God in us is a heart issue. The Bible teaches you and I that second only to His glory, the most important thing in all of the universe, seen and unseen, is your heart with God. There's nothing other than His own glory that's more important to God than your heart. You say, how can that be? 
Just look back at Scripture. Look at Genesis through Revelation. What is the whole redemptive history about? But God connecting heart to heart to His people, begging His people, let me have your heart. Give me your heart. I don't want all your sacrifices. I want your heart. To the point where His own heart through His Son would break, that you and I might have a heart that we would connect to Him heart to heart. You and I are to live and created and made from the very beginning to live in a relationship with our Father in heaven that is heart to heart. In complete exposure, in complete nakedness before the Father to say, God, I'm covered by the righteousness of my Son. Here I am with everything that I am to stand before you in the Son. knowing that you will bless me because of him. Because that's what he has done to make me to be able to live heart to heart with you. But the problems are this. You and I live under sin's deception. And because of it, It gives us a lack of clarity that manifests itself in our neediness. And it keeps us continually searching for our own righteousness. The deceitfulness of sin makes you and I aware that we are very needy. And that causes us to continue to look for our own righteousness to cover our need. But Jesus gives us the solution when he says, Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those whose faith is in me. Blessed are those who have my righteousness imputed to them, for they shall see God. The only cure to the problem of our sin is Jesus. The only way that you and I will ever see God is Jesus. The only way that we will ever lift up our hands and stand before the God Almighty is Jesus. We must get out of our heads. We must get out of our own way. And we must believe in the way and the truth and life. Jesus. How does that manifest itself? Well, I want to say in two ways. Faith and focus. As I have faith in what Jesus has done for me and the purity that is mine in him, and I focus on that, the second part, I have the faith in that, that that's reality, then focus must come. As I focus on what he has done and who he is through me, I must focus that out in life. And on others. What Christ has made alive in me, I must share with others. My life must be transformed by being ruled by flesh and sin and living in life and spirit. In other words, I must seek to live a life that looks like the life that is within me that Christ has given me. 
I must seek to walk as my Savior walked. I must seek to love as my Savior loved. I must seek to reach out as my Savior reached out. I must seek to heal as my Savior has healed. I must seek to trust in the Father the way that my Savior trusts in the Father. And the most magnificent and miraculous thing begins to happen the more that I seek to walk like Jesus. And it is this, the more I see God at work. Do you want to experience God more in your life? Then you and I must walk more like Jesus in our life. You want to be more loved? Then love more like Jesus. You want to experience forgiveness in your life? Then forgive like Jesus forgave. You want to know what it is to trust the Father then trust like Jesus trusted. And the more you and I do those things and live that way, the more you and I literally experience more intimacy with God. What can bring change to the human condition? Only the heart of Christ. You and I will never get there by our own efforts. But if we have the heart of Christ and our efforts are motivated by His heart, then you and I can see real and significant and lasting transformation. The more I dwell upon His holiness, the more holy I want to become. The more I dwell upon His kindness, the more kind I want to become. The more I dwell upon His patience, the more patience I want to become. The more I understand the joy that is between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, the more joyful I become. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Certainly, the more purity that we see in Christ, the more His purity comes forth through us, and the more we focus on seeing where God is at work and what God is doing. But there's a deeper revelation to it as well. In that day when the Lord returns, you and I are promised in 1 John that we will see Him as He is. That we will literally see God. That we will stand in His glory and in His presence because we stand in His purity as our own purity. We stand with His hands as our own hands. And so blessed, fortunate, graced are you and I when we have His purity as our purity in our hearts. In the Hebrew mind, there's nothing more important than the, in the human being than the heart. The heart is not the mind In the King James Version, oftentimes you'll hear the heart referred to as the bowels. Because it's the deepest part of the human being. It is the essence of everything that you are. It's not just your brain. It's not just your arm. It's not just your legs. It's not just your feet. It's the entire essence of everything that you are makes up your heart. And so God is... Fully engaged and fully in all of you. 
and in all of me that we might manifest Him in the way that we live so that we experience Him and we see Him and we will see Him for who He is. John goes further to proclaim what kind of love is this that has, God has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. One day I'll show you a picture of my dad. I'm noticing that his nose is becoming my nose. I don't know that that's fortunate, but I notice his wrinkles are becoming my wrinkles. I'm beginning to look a lot like him. And there's not one stinking thing I can do about it. But isn't that also true about our spiritual father, our real father? That his genetics are within us? And that the object of our life is to begin to take on his characteristics? That his heart begins to look like our heart? As you and I yield in faith to the work of the Spirit in our lives, we have a promise from Christ Jesus Himself that we can't help but begin to look like Him. You might say, where's that promise? It's in Romans chapter 8. God's working everything together for our good so that we may be conformed to His image. The image of the Son. The second person of the Trinity. The one in whose image we were made and created. That's the end game for us. In this life, we will never see that fully. We don't arrive here But it's in this life we begin to experience the intimacy of seeing God at work in our lives until the day that we see His return and we see Him face to face for all of who He is in all of His glory. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's what this meal is. The meal is a heart-to-heart meal. A covenant of blood that you and I might partake heart-to-heart with God in the promise that we shall see Him as He truly is on that day where we celebrate the banquet with Him in His kingdom. Let's pray.